The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you, worship team, and uh, all of you that have been worshiping with us this morning online. And uh, <clears throat> my name is Terry, Terry Jank. I say a happy new year to all of you, church family, and those that are visiting with us online. And uh, let's take some time to pray before we begin. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you that we get to worship your name. And um, this morning, as Kevin has shared, Lord, it is uh, really, really mixed emotions and difficulties uh, we, we find just uh, um, continuing on in this COVID pandemic and <clears throat> living within the constraints and trying to be sensitive to, to everyone and uh, Father, all of the, the different ways that we as the body of Christ are seeking to discern your good and perfect will and live it out. And uh, Father, we're, we're just asking for more mercy from you, O oh God, more grace for each other and for um, the ability to navigate these times. And we do believe what we just sang is true, that even when we don't see it, you're working, even when we don't feel it, God. You are always at work to this very day, like you said, Jesus, and we know that. It's just that it's hard to keep in that zone of faith to believe that. And we pray, oh God, that this year, 2022, will be a year of growing in faith. Lord, we ask you. And even this morning as we open up the Bible and as we open up our hearts to your word, would you be pleased, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher today? As we get into Romans chapter 12, we're just excited about the journey that we're going to be on with you. But would you take the lead, O Holy Spirit, and show us how to follow you in obedience and in faith? And Lord, right now, we, we want to lift up to you all the concerns that we have. And um, Lord... Uh, we can't, we can't always set things aside. They're so big in our minds. There's people that are sick in our minds. Uh, we think of them as people that we know and love that are sick or, or that um, aren't with us over the holiday. And there are others that are beginning the new year with a lot of uncertainty, and they need an extra measure of grace from you. And Lord, in our, in our minds right now, we just think of them and we lift them up to you in prayer. All over the place, God, we just lift them up to you. And we pray, oh God, for uh, your Holy Spirit to comfort and, and bring what we need. And so thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer this day. And now, open our minds and our hearts that our lives would be transformed in this year and that the first steps we take in these first days of this new year will be transforming. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, be, we are continuing in Romans chapter 12 uh, this morning, um, and we're going to be in Romans 12 until Easter. We're really looking forward to this portion of scripture <clears throat> and this morning my message is entitled a transformed life the journey of a Jesus follower uh, really today's message is going to be an introduction to the entire chapter 12 of Romans and I hope that you will be joining us on this journey of Romans 12 becoming a Romans 12 Christian <clears throat> well <clears throat> let me start by quoting that famous theologian, Louis Lemur. Just kidding, he's not really a theologian, is he? Louis Lemur is quoted to have said that the only thing that never changes is that everything changes. Or if you want to find another guy that said the same thing almost, the only thing that does not change is change itself. Or if you want to get philosophical about it, you can go to the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who said the only constant in life is change. Indeed, all of these people are underlining a truth that continues in 2022. It'll be a year of change. You can guarantee it. 
You cannot age without understanding the constancy of change itself. And indeed, the wonder and the beauty of children is that they have not yet figured out or realized that life is about change. And so they want everything to be the same. They want the same book that you read last time. They want to sing the same songs. They want the same routines, and it's beautiful to see. And um, the word mortality actually comes from the Latin word mortalis, which means subject to death. In the Spanish, it's morir, which means to die. We are mortals. That means that we're subject to death, that life, the day we're born, starts to change, and we're subject to, to death. God is immortal. We are mortal. God does not die. We do. And um, you're going to have another birthday this year, and likely when that time passes, uh, you will, depending on your age, see some of the signs of that aging. It may sound rather morbid, but... But I think about it every passing year. I think about more, my mortality more each year. I'm reminded of it when I feel the aches and pains in my body after a game of hockey or when I've shoveled snow and I feel it or when I'm roughhousing with my grandkids and so on. You probably feel it too. Every time you stand ahead of the mirror, you might say, I'm not the person I used to be. <laughs> we all can do that. And indeed, our mortality stares us in the face. It might sound, again, a little bit morbid. Again, the word morbid comes from the same root as the word mortality, subject to death. But one of my favorite hymns of all time is Abide With Me, traditionally sung at funerals. And I love the second verse. It goes like this. Swift to its close out, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I take great comfort from these words of that old hymn. They keep me and my mortality in perspective. Helps me to see that God who formed me from the dust, Genesis 2, 7, and that one day will return me to the dust, Psalm 90, verse 3, is, is, is not something to fear. This is where the familiar funeral words come, dust to dust. What is dust? Dust is disintegrated matter. Dust is the destiny of all the cells of your body. Dust is the, the, the destiny of systems of nerves and muscle and bone and skin tissue. The whole of you, the whole physical part of you that was knit together in your mother's womb by your creator God himself. The whole part of your physical self is going to return to dust one day. Dust to dust. Guaranteed. You are a fragile creature, you and I. Everything you do in and with this body, all of your walking and talking, all of your eating and drinking, all of your loving and hating, all of your working and playing, all of it will stop one day. It will cease, and everything that you've done in this body, it will return to dust. When you're strong and healthy, you forget that truth, that you're mortal. You're mortal. But of course, there's another truth, isn't there? There's another truth that we need to remember, and Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, in jars of dust. We have this treasure. In fact, he says in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, going back to dust eventually, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. How is that? That outwardly we could be wasting away, yet inwardly we could be renewed. How is that? What is Paul talking about? Well, he's po pointing to the other part of us, not the physical part, but the spiritual part, the non-material part, the non-physical self. God designed us with an outer self and an inner self. 
The outer self is made of dust. It suffers decay. The inner self can be renewed day by day, and God designed you to renew it day by day in a lifelong journey of walking hand in hand with God, your creator, and knowing him all the way through as he makes the changes of renewal that he needs to make in your life. And the word for that whole renewing process, that inward renewal, the Bible has one particular word that especially encapsulates that whole renewal inwardly, spiritually. And it's the word metamorphosis. That's the word that in the New Testament is used to describe the change that God wants to work in every believer, in every person. It's found in Romans 12 and many other passages that we'll refer to in the coming weeks, perhaps. But I want you to get an understanding of that word as a foundation before we go into the rest of Romans 12. Now, I want you to confess this morning that around this time of year, I get kind of reflective. Maybe you do, too. You start to think about the past year. You start to look toward the, the coming year. And you start to think about, well, what's the sum of my life? What's happening with me? Am I the same person I was? Am I changing? Am I growing? And so on. So I went down memory lane this past, um, this past few days. In fact, Pat and I took out our phones and went down all the pictures that we have of this past year in review. And as I was looking in the office about, at some things, I came across the first sermon that I preached as the pastor of White Ridge Baptist Church as we were over on, at 201 Skirfield. I, pre- I looked at the first sermon that I preached, and guess what I preached on? I preached on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I talked about metamorphosis. By the way, uh, this is what we looked like back then. <laughs> the Jank family. Um, I think I've aged a little bit since then. And the reason that I preached on Romans 12 was because I wanted you folks to know where Pat and I had just come from in Bolivia before we arrived in Winnipeg at White Ridge Baptist Church. And what we had been doing is we had been running a program in Bolivia at the seminary, and it was in Spanish, they say metamorphosis, And it was a a program on spiritual formation, and it was aimed at the first-year class students at the Baptist Theological Seminary in Cochabamba, Bolivia. And that's what we'd been doing for the previous several years, working at the seminary in Bolivia and running a spiritual formation program among especially the first-year class. And a couple that was very dear to us at the time that worked with us in that, and we left it in their hands when we left Bolivia, was Antonio and Betty Antesana, as you can see them here. Betty died of cancer a few years after we left Bolivia, and Antonio died of COVID last year. Again, a reminder of our mortality, subject to death. Well, Romans 12 was an important passage, but believe it or not, it wasn't the main passage of the spiritual formation program in Bolivia. The main passage that we chose was Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. And in Galatians 4, 19, it says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed, morphe, formed in you. That became our theme verse. In fact, I can still remember it in Spanish in the Reina Valera, the old translation. Hijitos míos, por quienes vuelvo a sufrir dolores de parte hasta que Cristo sea formado en vosotros. I can still remember it. That is the basis of the program that we ran in Bolivia. And of course, when you hear the word metamorphosis, I'm sure you're not thinking of some spiritual formation study or program. You're thinking of biology class. And we're thinking about how tadpoles come, become frogs or how, how little caterpillars become butterflies. And that's what Pat and I were also thinking about when we began the program. In fact, there is a place in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, which is a butterfly sanctuary or conservatory. It's called Gwembe. And so we went to Gwembe and we studied 
the process of metamorphosis among the butterflies, the hundreds that are on display in, in the sanctuary in Santa Cruz, but also they say that there's about 3,000 species of butterflies in, in Bolivia. They think that there's more than 15,000 species of butterflies around the world, and every one of those butterflies, in order to become a butterfly, had to go through this change process that is described as metamorphosis. Every one of them. We thought, well, maybe we've got something to learn from the biology of butterflies. So we talked to one of the lab technicians who explained the process to us, and we took out our pads and took good notes. The first step of it all is that a female adult butterfly lays eggs on a leafy plant, wee little small eggs. And then after that, the second part of it is after about a month, a little wee caterpillar literally eats his way out of that, that cocoon or that larva, out, out of that, and, and, and finds himself walking. In fact, that little caterpillar to grow will eat and eat and grow and shed its outer skin and continue to eat and eat and grow and shed four to five times before it is an adult enough to be a caterpillar that is continuing to grow. And at one point in time, it become to the third sort of life metamorphosis stage, and that is called the pupa, the chrysalis, the cocoon stage, when that little caterpillar will hang from a leafy branch, and everything that is known about that caterpillar dies. That's why in Spanish, the cocoon is called the tumba. It's a tomb. It dies. And it may appear from the outside that looking at that little tumba, that little cocoon, there's nothing's going on. But inside, something radically transformative is taking place. It is called metamorphosis. And finally, after about a month, a newly formed creature emerges. It, it looks nothing like the former creature. The newly formed creature is absolutely different in nature and in beauty. This new creature can fly while the other one was limited to walk on leafy branches. In some species of butterflies, this stage of a butterfly's life lasts two weeks before that adult butterfly will turn around and lay eggs on another leaf and the entire process will repeat itself. Miraculous. It's incredible. God's handiwork in metamorphosis of butterflies. Now, why did God give us caterpillars and butterflies? Folks, God gave us caterpillars and butterflies to teach us something about the change he wants to work in our lives. If you miss that, you miss the main point of the creature's existence. The main reason that God gave us caterpillars and butterflies was so that he would teach us something about our spiritual growth and change. What do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn that there is both an inward journey of faith and there is an outward journey of faith. And the whole process is called metamorphosis. The little caterpillar goes into a cocoon and a mysterious transformation takes place and then it comes out and begins to live its purpose. And this law of nature is true in all ways. That the inward journey must always precede the outward journey. Folks, that is a universal law of nature that you must understand about your own spiritual life. Your inward journey with Jesus Christ must precede the reality and the authenticity of your outward journey showing Jesus Christ in the way you live. There is no other way. The development of a genuine faith in Christ will be a corresponding outer life of living like Jesus Christ on this earth. And to the degree that there is no inward, deep, real faith in Jesus, 
there will be no outward, deep, and real participation in his life. Instead, what you will find yourself doing as a Christian is an imitation of Christ, not a participation in his life. And there's a grand difference between imitating someone and participating in the actual spiritual life force of that person. And so the exchanged life that God gives you, where he takes your life and he gives you his Christ life, is is actually him living not just in you and for you, but as you. That's radical. It's a participation in the life force of Jesus by his Holy Spirit in you. And that's the transformation that takes place. It's a a transformation that starts inwardly and works itself out outwardly. So one of the reasons why we liked the definition of spiritual formation from Mel Lawrence is because it says that spiritual formation is the progressive patterning of a person's inner and outer life according to the image of Christ, through intentional means of spiritual growth. We like that definition. The word used to describe this entire inner and outer process is metamorphosis, transformation. It's the process of how Jesus transforms sinners back into his image that they were created in, into his likeness, leads them out of the inner life into live and a life that is going to reflect his nature and his essence and his beauty. Now, I know that you've all studied Romans 12, so I don't need to tell you this. There's not just one, there's not just one word for change in verse 2. There's two, aren't there? There's the word conform, and there's the word transform. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so, transform, metamorphe, as I said, is the change from the inside out. But then the word conform, which is in Greek the word schema, is a change that takes place from the outside in. And that's something you probably know intuitively. You feel sometimes like you're forced to conform. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Conformity refers to a change in outward appearance. Conformity is how we become socialized. Think about it. Conformity is probably one of the most destructive kinds of change that exist on planet Earth. Conformity is based on too much peer pressure, too much fear, too much groupthink, too much wanting to belong, too much of whatever other external force is happening upon you, particularly the media, that is forcing you to conform. It is squeezing you into its mold, as the J.B. Phillips translation says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformation is a change of heart, change in essence, change in nature. You take on the essence of Jesus because you spend time with him. His spirit is in you. You begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. You know, during our last term in Bolivia, We lived in a home, a rented home, that was owned by an elderly couple and had lived there for probably 30 years. And in, in the master bedroom, there was a built-in closet on one entire wall of the bedroom, and it was at the foot of the bed. The entire wall was closet. And so naturally, Pat took the doors on the closet that were on the left side of the bedroom because that's where she sleeps and I took the ones that were on the right because that's where I sleep. The only problem was that the former couple must have had slept in different beds because all of my clothes started to smell like the perfume of the former woman that owned the house. (laughs) And that wasn't the smell I was looking for. 
It took weeks for my clothes to start to not smell like the former owner of the house. Well, that's a picture and a principle of nature, isn't it? It applies to our spiritual maturity. Whether we like it or not, we will take on the essence of that which we spend most of our time with. Whatever occupies us. If you spend a half an hour a week in the Bible listening to a sermon or otherwise reading it, but you are spending hours every day on social media and on cable television and other such devices, well, you can guess which is going to have more of the influence on your life and which of the essence you're going to pick up in that. Your maturity as a disciple of Jesus Christ requires that you spend time with him. You hang out. You are comfortable in his presence and he with you. And the inward journey of cultivating a deep and real relationship with him has slowly that effect of an outward journey that actually reflects his life. Becoming to think like him and feel like him and behave like him. And so if you have a deep experience of his grace and forgiveness, for example, because you've experienced it for yourself, well, then your outer life has this deep grace and forgiveness to other people that screw up and that wrong you. And if you have a, a deep inner real experience of God's truth in his word, the outer experience of you is that you have equally an experience of living by that truth. And your conscience is sharp and your path is clear and you discern what is the perfect, pleasing will of God. And if your experience, your deeper experience, is of being loved by God your Father, in spite of all your screw-ups, in spite of all your sin, you have this deep, real experience of Jesus, this inward journey with Jesus that says, I know he loves me. Your outer experience will be grace and mercy for those that screw up and have a hard time getting their stuff together. Do you see that the first has to happen before the second will? And that is why you can be certain that in the, all of the outward and circumstantial craziness caused by COVID-19, that it's, going, that, it's, that it's revealing, the outer pressures and stressors is revealing the maturity of the inward journey of every Christian. We are seeing the pressure cooker come and the, the stressors and pressures that is caused by this pandemic is revealing the spiritual authenticity of the inward journey that's revealed in the outward journey. And I have faced it myself. God has taken me out behind the woodshed at least once or twice in the last two years and dealt with my pride thinking that I know better. And he's had to take me back in the inward journey. And so, that's how sanctification works, folks. It's the word transformation. We're going to talk more about that word. But I want to just, uh, before, by the way, next week, next week I'm going to be doing more of a, a, a literal expository message on Romans 12, 1 and 2, because there's so much here that I'm not talking about. But if we don't get the word metamorphosis, if we don't understand the process of change in the Christian's life, what it's supposed to be and what it's not supposed to be, transform, not conform, then you'll miss, you'll miss a lot of what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. And so I want to move on right now to go back to the, the verse that was key to the spiritual formation program in our, in our program in Bolivia. And perhaps this, this verse applies more to the board and staff of our church and to those of you who are intentionally involved in seeking to make disciples of your friends and loved ones. Maybe that's who especially this is aimed at, but it's essential that if you're going to be in, joining God in his growth of his kingdom and in what he's wanting to do on earth in preparation for all of eternity, then you're going to have to get three principles that come out of this verse. And the first one has to do with close relationships. Paul calls the Galatian Christians his dear children. 
It's because they, that he saw them that way. Now, if you want to play it safe, and if you want to never get hurt, and you want to keep people at arm's length, you can do that. Some people might even be using COVID as an excuse to withdraw from community and from friendship. But I want you to know, faith is never meant to be a privatized thing. Never. Faith is meant to be community. If you want to impact anybody or be impacted by them in a good way, you're going to have to get close. You can't do it at a distance. You can't be a lone ranger. You can't be isolationist. Paul saw the believers in Galatia and churches there, and he saw them as children in the faith. Why did he do that? Because, because he invested in their lives. He shared Jesus with them. He did messy life with them. He confronted them when they were sinning. He loved them. He was willing to suffer and be inconvenienced for them. He stayed in their homes on his trips. And he wanted to see God transform them by his Holy Spirit. And so the question I have for you in this first point is, is who are the close relationships that are in 2022 for you? Who does God want you to get close to? Be vulnerable with. Do messy life with. Because God has some people for you. He does. You're going to have to come out and find them. Start praying. Start asking God, Lord, just show me one person. Show me one that I'm meant to get down to business with getting onto your agenda with. Show me one. Secondly, Paul said that in order to grow and to see Christ formed in the Galatian believers, he had to go through the pains of childbirth. A very graphic illustration. Paul is saying that helping the early Christians grow up and mature was like having a baby. Now, of course, Paul had no experience of giving birth, but don't let that distract you from what he's teaching the point is that the work of gospel ministry is a labor of love. It's not easy. For any one of us who have grown up spiritually, it has required a ton of sacrifice and long-suffering on the part of somebody else to pray for us, to be patient with our stupidity, our in, in, immaturity, our carnality, our foolish pride. It's just like parenting, isn't it? Disciple-making is not an easy thing. In fact, it's a spiritual battle. It's not just a spiritual battle before someone says yes to Jesus and invites them in, him in. It's, it's a spiritual battle after they have become Christians and the flesh cries out that it doesn't want to let go of all its little toys that prop up its ego and, and nurture it and find safe places for it. It's a battle. Paul travailed in labor pains with the Galatian believers. If you are in a relationship with an, a less mature believer, you know some of what I'm talking about. You put up with it. You travail. You persist. Paul continued to write letters, visit churches, stay in people's homes, invested in relationships. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be praying and loving on somebody this year because God's called you to the front line of that person's life? And the end of the year will show some of the fruit of what God is doing through you because you took the step of investing in a life. And then thirdly, it requires time and persistence. Besides close relationships and enduring the pains of childbirth, it will require you to spend time. In fact, it's all wrapped up in that word until Paul says, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's a whatever-it-takes kind of commitment. Someone has said that if God wants to grow a squash, he'll take six weeks, and if he wants to grow an oak tree, he'll take 50 years. So we need to be patient because God's been really patient with us. Be patient, especially in this age that we are living in. I shared several weeks ago about a study that was done by Barner Research and World Vision. Among 18 to 35-year-olds, the 
the millennial and Gen Z group of people. And more than ever before in this generation, there is a group of people that want to see you practice what you preach. They have no tolerance for hypocrisy. They want to see evidence of the inward journey. If you're going to show them something of the outward journey, they want to see evidence of the authenticity that you demonstrate. And so this group of people in the 18 to 35-year-olds are, are hungry for meaningful relationship. And they are thirsty to see integrity, especially in those who have positions of leadership, whether it's politics, religion, business, whatever it is. They want to see integrity. But you see, meaningful relationship and integrity to, 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 to prove that, to demonstrate that, requires time. Requires time. You don't get that overnight. About a year and a half ago, the board and the staff of our church started a journey together. We had been reviewing the mission statement of our church, which had been formed about 10 years prior on March the 15th, 2011. And we had been reviewing that because we were asking ourselves if indeed we were doing all we could do to become a disciple-making church. That statement reads like this, making and nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. And as we discussed how we were doing at making and nurturing followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationship, we began to ask ourselves questions. And we began to enter into what I would call a prayerful dialogue. Prayerful dialogue that was accompanied by a gentle accountability. That's what I would describe what the board and staff journey of the last year and a half has been. A prayerful dialogue accompanied by a gentle accountability. And over time, we've established some principles that we wanted to live by, and we wanted our church to reflect that based on, on, on becoming a disciple-making church. We believe that it's a, the acrostic trip. We believe that indeed it has to be, as our word of today is all about metamorphosis, it has to be transformational. If what we're doing as a church, as an institution in society, is not transforming people, changing them from the inside out to become like Jesus, then, then what are we doing it for? And we are determined we will not give in to this conformity principle that God warns us about, but transformation. Secondly, we believe it has to be relational. It has to be up close. God expects every one of us to be involved in a disciple-making kind of relationship. And then thirdly, it has to be intentional. We realize, we realize then and we realize now, we have to provide a clearer roadmap on where and how you grow in your faith in community among our church. And then finally, we said it has to be purposeful has to be leading somewhere, and the only place we want to go is to be more like Jesus, to be the image bearers that we were created to be. Like the old prayer goes, Lord, help me to understand what you had in mind when you made the original me. <laughs> I like that. What did you have in mind, God, when you made the original me? Before all the sin and all that stuff, what is the image of Jesus Christ in me? That's the intentionality we want to pursue and the purpose we want to pursue. Well, besides some of that, we also read a couple of books. We've read the book by Craig Etheridge called Bold Moves, and we're in just about done the second book called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. And we agreed as we journeyed together these last year and a half or so that before we tried any programs that are going to be aimed at equipping you as the church to become disciple makers, we personally had to be invested ourselves. And so for the last year, we have been just asking God to show us the people that we're meant to walk with. Show us the people that we're meant to engage with, whether they're an unbeliever, 
whether they're a brand new Christian, whether they're an infant baby Christian, whether they're uh, an adolescent believer growing or a mature Christian. Just show us, God, who we're meant to be on the front page with in a disciple-making, prayerful relationship. And what we're learning is that every stage has its characteristics and its needs. And just as we don't leave infants and children on their own to grow up, we don't leave believers on their own to grow up either. We're designed to be in family, in community. We're designed to have parents and siblings and, and family members. And we, we're designed to journey together. That's really what we're saying in these next few months between now and Easter as we study Romans 12. We're designed to journey together, not alone. And so that's what we're asking that you'll do with us. You've all heard of the Romans road, but we're talking about the Romans 12 road this next few months. We're talking about how to become a Romans 12 Christian. And I'm really asking you to journey with us. Join us. You see, the genius of Romans chapter 12, and this is why today has been an introductory sermon, the genius of Paul's writing Romans chapter 12 is that in verses 1 and 2, he lays the foundation of everything else he's going to talk about all the way to verse 21. And the foundation has to be understood of the kind of change that God wants to bring from the inside outwardly in your life. Because the rest of Romans 12, verse 3 and onward, is all about the signs of maturity that Jesus makes in your life. But if you read Romans 12 through the lens of a conformity kind of change, instead of a transforming kind of change, you're going to get it all wrong. If you read Romans 12 through a, I need to be better than I am, I need to imitate Jesus more, you're going to miss the point. Because, you see, Romans 12 is designed to be read through a metamorphosis lens, through a transformational lens, that God works, first of all, in us, and increasingly, outwardly, in our lives. And so, as we prepare for the journey down this Romans 12 road toward becoming Romans 12 Christians, we're going to be explaining in the weeks to come how you can join us. Pastor Doug next week is going to take some time to share more about how you can engage with other people in our church family on this. But today before I conclude, I want to just share a few things. First of all, I want to encourage you starting today or tomorrow to start reading Romans 12 every day. It'll only take you a few minutes. Read Romans 12 every day if you can. Secondly, I want to ask you to start memorizing it one verse at a time. By the time we get to Easter, you'll have Romans 12 all memorized, verse 21 verses. Thirdly, I'm going to ask you to reach out to one of the board members or staff members. Ask them. Phone them up or meet for coffee and just ask them, what has God been teaching you about your disciple-making life? about your inner journey, about your outward journey. Ask them what God's been teaching them or us in the last year and a half. Third, or fourthly, pray about your own inward journey. In fact, maybe, maybe God will bring to mind a prayer buddy, a person that you may not even get together, but you'll be on the phone regularly. And, and, and this is a person you trust. This is a person that you can you can be vulnerable with. God will show you that person. You can pray it up. You can pray. You maybe already have this person in your life. You'll just, just go deeper with them and, and, and follow the Romans 12 journey. And then finally, ask God to show you one person that is in this outward journey of living out your faith. You're going to say, hey, you interested in knowing more about Christ? You interested in growing? I'd love to journey with you on that. Do you, want, do you want 2022 to be a breakthrough year? I, I mean that seriously. That's what I was praying about this morning, saying, God, make it a breakthrough year. You probably have an area in your life 
that you'd want to break through in. You'd want God to show you grace to break through. Or maybe you know somebody in your life. You, maybe you have a friend or a loved one that you say, God, I'd love for you to break through in that person's life. Let's trust God to do that. Father in heaven, thank you for your incredible grace toward us. Lord, we're about to receive the Lord's Supper. And as uh, folks at home get some juice and some bread during this song, um, Lord, we're going to prepare our hearts to receive the bread and the cup to remind ourselves that the, the, the actual change that can take place in our lives, the actual transformation that you want to do, it's all made possible because of what you did at the cross. Oh, Lord, you took our place. And you want to take our place in the living of our lives now. Would you help us to go deeper with you this year? Would you help us to, help us to learn together, to journey together, to become Romans 12 Christians. Lord, we thank you, and we ask you now, bless and lead us to the table as we prepare to acknowledge the incredible sacrifice you made on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in Hebrews chapter 9 these words, and... Uh, coming full circle back to the subject of death that I began my sermon with. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Indeed, we can gather at this table because of the fact that at Christ's first coming, he dealt with sin once for all. For all who would come to him, all who would come under his lordship and say, Jesus, you died in my place on the cross. And if you're one of those people today, then I hope that you join him in taking of the bread that represents his broken body on that cross and taking of the cup, which represents the, the blood that he shed. And I'm just gonna give thanks for both of these things before we participate. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you dealt with sin at your first coming. And when you return for the second time, we know not when. It could be this year in 2022. It's not going to be to deal with sin because you've already done that. Lord, it's going to be to, to gather your church. Indeed, judgment is coming for those who do not know you, who refuse to receive you. But Lord, for those of us who have come under your lordship we believe there is an eternal life waiting it has begun when we receive Christ and uh, Jesus we thank you that you've promised not only to take our place on the cross to take our sin but you've promised to take our place living the Christian life because we can't do it we need the metamorphosis we need your transforming grace and presence day by day and so in this, in this moment as we are at this table and as we partake of the bread and the cup, we are recommitting, oh God, that we're followers of you, that Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior, and we, we recommit to saying, yes, God, we want to be yours through and through. Thank you for the bread and the cup and what you did at Calvary in Jesus' name. I'd invite you now, brothers and sisters in Christ, to take the bread, and uh, even as Jesus did, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, eat this, it represents my body.
And then after supper, we read that he, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it, all of you, in remembrance of me. Let's drink in remembrance of Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Father, right now, we join in prayer as brothers and sisters in, in a family. And one of the things that we all have in common in Christ is that your Holy Spirit is transforming us, that you do intend and want for us to grow on the inside to be more like Jesus, that you are doing a metamorphosis. That's what we have in common. And the other thing, or another thing that I know we have in common is that we're uncomfortable with change sometimes. And as you use our circumstances to, ch to change us in the way that you intend, even as a pressure cooker sometimes, we're aware that sometimes we don't like pressure cookers very much. But we also know that our joy is to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. So God, I ask you on behalf of me and on behalf of our church family that you would bring it. That you would bring it and that you would do what you need to do in order to grow us closer to you. And I pray that you would give us the grace to accept what you do in our lives, and I pray that you would give us the grace to obey and follow in the ways that you, deep, you grow us on the inside and journey us deeper and deeper on the inside, so much so that when life jostles out, what spills out of us looks like Jesus. I pray that that would be more and more true. And Lord, as you transform us, we take comfort, and may we take more and more comfort in the truth that your steadfast love never changes. Your mercies are new every morning. You are great and your faithfulness is great to us. And we give you praise for all of those things. And I pray that in all of it, that you would also grow us a desire to see others be transformed in the same way, just like we heard about. And I pray that you'd already be planting seeds in our heart of who it is that you would have us pour our lives into as you have poured into us, that they might see you more deeply as well. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us exactly where we are and for loving us so completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.